This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, the world is still reeling, at least most aspects of the world are still reeling, from the news of the attack on Friday of legendary literary giant Salman Rushdie, attacked in uh, at a festival celebrating things like free speech and free expression in upstate New York. Now, it is amazing to me that in the 21st century in the United States of America, people still have to worry about being attacked for things that they've written, let alone things they've written decades ago. And what some people have said and what many have wondered is if there's something going on within Islam itself, within radical Islam specifically, which is completely antithetical to free speech. Somebody that has spent a lot of time thinking about this subject and speaking about it is Dr. Zudi Jasser, Navy veteran, president of the American Islam. Islamic Forum for Democracy and the author of the book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, an American Muslim Patriot's Fight to Save His Faith. Dr. Jasser, it is always a treat to talk with you. Thanks for joining me. Anytime, Frank. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Jasser, just so folks understand where you're coming from, what exactly is the American Islamic Forum for Democracy? Well, we formed after 9-11 and felt that uh, while 9-11 was uh, uh, perpetrated by al-Qaeda, a radical Islamic uh, terror organization, the, the root cause of what we're fighting is not a, a, a tactic of terrorism, but rather an ideology. And as Muslims, as patriotic American Muslims, we felt that the, the root cause to defeat is political Islam, the identification of the Islamic state, the loyalty of certain group of political movements of Muslims like the Muslim Brotherhood uh, of the Sunni side, the uh, Shia Khomeinists of the Iranian side, and many, so many Islamist movements around the world that ultimately some do it nonviolently, some do it violently. What's antithetical to them is freedom, is liberty, is the West. And America really has, I think, the secret sauce on how to defeat political Islam because we were founded in a battle against theocracy. So the American Islamic Forum for Democracy was formed to, to take that Americanism and use it to not only defeat political Islam, but to begin to instill in Muslims the the idea that the best way to protect religious freedom is through American concepts of freedom and, and uh, put to bed, if you will, political Islam and theocracy. And, and you are, uh, just so folks know, you are a Muslim. Absolutely. We're raised as a as a devout Orthodox Sunni Muslim in a small town in Wisconsin, and uh, my parents escaped uh, persecution in Syria. My father escaped uh, the Ba'athists, uh, which are still running Syria with the Assad regime, uh, the father and the son. And uh, even though it's a Muslim-majority country, we, I was raised in understanding of the Quranic scripture that I could practice my faith more freely and more under, with more understanding here in America than I could in any Muslim-majority mm. country. What do we know about this attacker of Salman Rushdie? What, uh, what might have motivated him and what might have inspired this 24-year-old, fairly young man to choose to go embark on such a violent act? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's so important that you ask that question. Uh, it appears that most places, other than really in France, France has really identified that uh, they're fighting Islamic radicalism and they've come to the streets uh, not only after the Charlie Hebdo massacre, which was similar, a magazine that uh, had the temerity to criticize the prophet. Uh, the attack on Salman Rushdie has been 33, 34 years in the making since 1988, 
when uh, his book uh, was published, and uh, Salman Rushdie then had a fatwa, a religious ruling uh, by the jurists of Iran that basically declared a $3 million bounty on his head and uh, asked the Muslim community in the world, which uh, is 1.6, 1.7 billion people, uh, to execute uh, that uh, charge in, of jihad. And ultimately, uh, many of his translators, uh, a number of his translators were killed in, in Japan and Italy and elsewhere. And uh, Salman Rushdie was given, uh, uh, thankfully, protection in Britain, became Sir Salman Rushdie. Um, but uh, in many ways, uh, now as we see Iran ascend, the radicalization cycles that this guy, uh, uh, Matar, uh, Hadi Matar, uh, has gone through in over 30 years, there's been multiple. The war against political Islam didn't start with 9-11. It, uh, you could say it possibly started in 79 with the hostage crisis. But also at that time, the Saudi mosques uh, were uh, sieged by uh, a Wahhabi terrorists in, in Mecca. Uh, you had the Muslim Brotherhood ascending uh, from Egypt uh, globally. So you had multiple political movements of Islamist militants and sort of this viral ideology of Islamic caliphism to want to build a caliphate uh, that uh, began to ascend through the middle of the 20th century. And uh, uh, Hadi, is this, this terrorist, uh, it's sort of surprising to me that the news stories never identified the assassin uh, 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 who attempted to assassinate uh, Salman Rushdie as an Islamist terrorist, which he is. He was found online through Vice News to be communicating directly with the Islamic Republican Guard Corps, which Thankfully, the Trump administration labeled a terror organization, but the Biden administration was actually had on the table to remove that. He's he had a, a driver's license that had a fake name that included the first and last name of, of uh, uh, confidant of Nasrallah, who was the head of Hezbollah, a major terrorist organization. So, again, this guy sort of obviously was another terror uh, failure, anti-terror failure. And we've let our guard down, and the Islamists of Iran responded today and said, oh, well, it's not our fault. He didn't work for us. We, you know, this is Salman Rushdie's fault because, you know, he antagonized uh, milit he antagonized Muslims all over the world, and he, he bas basically they said he had it coming. I mean, what they said today should educate Americans everywhere about how Muslims are radicalized. They said they didn't do it, but yet— they said he had it coming, which is exactly how they radicalize our community. Mm. Now, uh, straighten one thing out for us, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser. There were a lot of reports that said that the fatwa that the supreme leader of Iran had issued uh, calling on Muslims to kill Salman Rushdie had been rescinded. And then I've seen some some other coverage that indicates that uh, a fatwa like that can never be rescinded. What is the what are the facts about what the status of that fatwa is or was? The, the bottom line is if it had been rescinded, they would have said so today from their state uh, uh, media arms that uh, uh, discussed and tried to say that they didn't uh, – uh, he had nothing to do with them. So they didn't say the fatwa was gone. And then you look at other major Islamist uh, uh, you know, centers of influence, whether it's in Cairo at Al-Azhar University or in Mecca at uh, Wahhabi universities or in Karachi at uh, Islamist uh, universities there – none of which have uh, uh, dismissed that religious ruling. 
and uh, basically they they feel that. And let me explain to you just briefly where this fatwa comes from. It's mm. not just the ruling of one jurist who said he should be killed. When you and this is why our organization believes the only way to defeat radical Islam is to end the idea of the Islamic State. When you have an Islamic State. Sedition or blasphemy becomes equal to sedition because the Constitution is the Quran. Mm. So therefore, if you disagree with religious interpretations of the Quran or you write a book about fake verses that exist, etc., then you've committed blasphemy, sedition, and treason against its state, which is apostasy. So therefore, I can tell you as a former naval officer, the only country and constitution I'd die for is America. I would never die for my Quran, my you know, my, my faith, this is something between me and God. If you have an Islamic state, the prophet at the time had a religious state, and there were no secular states at the time. If you're going to have military cohesion in your Muslim military, you have to then kill those who would leave. When I was in the U.S. Navy, you couldn't just leave. You'd have an unauthorized absence. If you fought against your military, it would be treasonous, etc. So there's even things in the West that we would agree that keep our military cohesive, but it's not based on faith identity. It's based on a constitution under God, which is open to all universally, which is exactly why this fatwa hits at the core, why what happened to Salman Rushdie should wake up everybody, because it hits at the core of every front of this battle, from the ideological to the military. Uh, That Iranian reaction that you cited, where their uh, spokesman said, in this attack, we do not consider anyone other than Salman Rushdie and his supporters worthy of blame and even condemnation by insulting the sacred matters of Islam and crossing the red lines of more than one and a half billion Muslims and all followers of the divine religions, Salman Rushdie has exposed himself to the anger and rage of the people. I mean, that is a a pretty alarming, if that's the Iranian regime's way of trying to take tempers down a little bit, I'd hate to see what happens next for Salman Rushdie or people that have spoken out in support of him, people like J.K. Rowling, people like me, and a lot of other folks. Exactly. I mean, I have to tell you, I have a podcast uh, coming out uh, in a few days, and, you know, the title of it is How Unsettling This Is. And when people say, where are the moderate voices of Islam? I mean, look at Hardly any coverage about the root cause of what happened to Salman Rushdie. Hardly any coverage of the fact that this was a jihadi. Where are the moderate Muslim voices in response to this? They should be telling the Iranians, oh, okay, so if he had it coming, therefore the green revolution that was through your streets of Muslims who were raging against your your, uh, 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 theocracy, your supremacist, militant, genocidal government is the one that actually deserves the rage of Muslim people because you're the worst thing that's ever happened to Islam. That's what Muslims should be saying. But the Council on American-Islamic Relations stays silent and gives basically an offhanded comment. Well, meanwhile, they spent months complaining about Jamal Khashoggi and other, other folks that were attacked. And the bottom line is, is the hypocrisy is rampant. Ilhan Omar wanted to get – she got arrested in front of the, our Supreme Court here two weeks ago claiming she cared about abortion rights. When, when it actually comes to human rights, she sits silent with no comment mm. in the past few days about what happened to Salman Rushdie. One after the other, the, the, a lot of the Muslim leadership in this country is bought into the Islamic establishment – And their main constituency they care about are not free thinkers like Salman Rushdie and others who really are icons of 
of speaking out that we should protect, but rather their main constituency are the Islamic establishment through the world of either petro-Islam or Iranian supremacist Islam. Why Help folks understand this, right? I mean, I, I think we understand that uh, the Iranian regime is a fundamentalist, uh, you know, Shia Muslim regime. I think a lot of folks understand that the, the Saudi regime is a fundamentalist Sunni regime. But why would the – why would anyone – why would the Iranian regime or any fundamentalist element of Islam get so worked up about a fictitious novel, which Salman Rushdie has even said he doesn't think is among the best work that he's written. Why would anybody care to the point of willing to being willing to uh, wage violence on another human being? Why would anyone care about this? They, they haven't even read it. It's not about the actual. You're you're looking at it like an intellectual. Westerner who who actually looks at substance and 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 wants to argue the the actual facts of the case. The, these are are thuggish dictators who find things to to legitimize their power and will in a Machiavellian sense find an, an antagonist which is the other and say that they are bigots against us and use the Islamophobic card to say that somehow any criticism of Islam is actually bigotry against the collective Muslim. They call me an Orthodox Muslim who, who believes in prayer and fasting and the authenticity of my scripture and, and all the things that I try to teach my kids and other generations. They, they call me an apostate who is like a, a, a treasonous uh, agent within the community, which has been said in mosques and, and other places about me. Why? Because it's all about power. They use religion for power. They don't use it because they care about the faith or they care about humanity. It is all about power, and they will, they will find folks from outside the faith to say that somehow they are the enemy of Islam, and that's how they consolidate uh, uh, both uh, governmental and uh, uh, ideological power. You've indicated that the reaction not only from the Iranian regime is, to put it mildly, insufficient, but you seem pretty unhappy with the reaction from President Biden. How come? Well, if you listen to President Biden's statement, it was initially very strong on defense of free speech and Salman Rushdie, but it was completely absent of any discussion of, as if, as if somehow Salman Rushdie was talking about some kind of, he was speaking in a vacuum just about whatever he wanted. Salman Rushdie specifically uh, has been talking about the threat to free speech, the threat to the threat to free thinking that's coming from Islamic theocracy and and these regimes and especially uh, governments like Iran and their uh, uh, attempt to try to control any criticism of our scripture and and, and of our faith. So that w- none of that commentary came from President Biden, as if somehow we're ignorant of the reality of what Salman Rushdie lived. Uh, the the charges against the attacker are second degree. I don't even understand how it's second degree murder when he came, bought a ticket to the event, brought knives with him. It was clearly premeditated. And I would love to see hate crime uh, uh, federal charges brought against this individual uh, um, for what he has done. Uh, but no, none of that's going to happen. It's simply looked at uh, uh, no different than you would any of the other killings that are happening throughout uh, major cities across the country, which is absurd. And President Biden didn't address any of that as if as if somehow it occurred in a vacuum. 
talking with Dr. Judy Jasser. He is uh, the author of the book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, an American Muslim Patriot's Fight to Save His Faith. I had a lot of callers yesterday when we were talking about this, taking issue with the inadequate security that the venue provided or that uh, Salman Rushdie himself might have uh, been lacking in uh, making sure that he had adequate security. Do you think that that's a legitimate concern? I I think it's just such a crying shame that you have to worry about being potentially attacked for your literary work. But do you think the folks that brought up the security issue have a uh, legitimate beef? Uh, I can tell you absolutely. It's it's legitimate. Many of us, uh, we have a coalition of reformers in our Muslim reform movement, all of whom have been threatened uh, we have a larger coalition called the Clarity Coalition, Champions for Liberty Against Islamist Tyranny, that includes people like Ayan Hirsi Ali, Esra Nomani, and so many others that often will get threats from uh, militants and, and other radicals. And uh, But my question to them is, how would you like us to pay for that? Uh, mm-hmm. I can tell you that in 2012, uh, right after the uh, Syrian uh, revolution started, uh, I was very outspoken about being not only anti-Islamist, but also anti-Assad. And I was getting it from every end possible because I had family in Aleppo and Damascus and Al-Qaeda in Syria posted uh, threats against me and my family uh, on their, their websites through. And I was I was uh, informed through a piece uh, through Israeli intelligence about it. And we were concerned about, the t- concerned about it significantly at the time and beefed up security as much as I could for some period of time. But that costs a significant amount, and our our startup foundations don't have any of the uh, expenses that we can afford uh, compared to our enemies in the Islamist groups, let alone uh, what the government and others may do. And it was it horrified me to hear that Salman Rushdie had, you know, actually there was a police officer assigned, or one or two even assigned to that event. What were they doing? I, I don't understand if they were there how. Uh, this guy was able to rush onto the stage and stab him so many times mm. before they got there to pull him off. It was just, you know, the ones that were there, they will assign sometimes police officers. But this is the life and why, you know, we will be able to defeat the Islamists. Every time I've had a debate with them on stage at Duke University uh, uh, in Chicago and in, in, in L.A. and elsewhere across the country, we defeat them in debate when people realize that we're not anti-Muslim. We just want to talk about real criticism of ideas that need modernization and and yet we aren't able to get the platforms because people want to allow us to be marginalized by these folks when you asked earlier why does iran do this they want to put fear into our hearts and the left is is too too much of an accomplice in allowing this fear to exist because they're so busy worrying about being labeled islamophobic that the, this is like a bigotry of low expectations, which then ends up causing us to, to be so afraid of the security situation at our events that we really can't have them. Well, I will point out, though, that uh, Bill Maher, who I think people would view as somebody that's on the leftward end of the political spectrum, he's been very, very consistently critical, not only of this most recent attack, but of uh, radical Islam and political Islam in general. So there are elements on the left and the right uh, that are uh, very, very quick to uh, to call out this sort of uh, this sort of behavior. 
I'm curious. One of the things I mentioned yesterday was the Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, season where they did a play, a musical, about Salman Rushdie and the fatwa. And a big theme throughout that episode uh, and the season of Curb Your Enthusiasm is that there's a fatwa itself on Larry David. Is that kind of humor, that kind of uh, entertainment, is that helpful at all in liberalizing um, Islam at all? Or is that something that, uh, for lack of a better description, kind of pokes the bear a little bit and risks getting uh, tensions even more inflamed? No, I think it's very helpful. There, there is nothing more disarming than uh, um, comedy. And uh, uh, a lot of, if you look now on, on TikTok and, and YouTube and others, you know, folks that might not be as heaped in the theological debate that we are, uh, young 20-something kids that are, are doing unbelievably uh, brilliant videos that mock sort of uh, our parental generation and, and some of the Arab tribalism that exists and a lot of the other uh, uh, sort of uh, 20th century or 13th century ideas. You saw this trial just last week of uh, uh, this father that uh, in in New York from the guy was from Dallas and killed his daughters, and uh, the the trial uh, was held. And you know, as horrific as that act of terror is, there's a lot of underlying tribalism that exists in the way kids are treated that needs to be treated long before they kill their kids. They often will treat them in ways that that needs to be revealed as misogynistic, as as third world and not into uh, giving them the rights to property, to speech, to, to criticism of their parents and other things. I talk about this in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, about how true reform is going to come not only from countering the end point of the conveyor belt to the militancy, but the beginning point, which has to do with hate for America, the anti-Semitism, uh, a lot of the underlying things that Salman Rushdie sp- speaks about and so many other thinkers speak about is not just about the, the core, most graphic parts of the debate, but actually some of the behaviors that need to be countered in comedy has really been one of the areas. There are some Iranian comedians that are just fantastic at disarming the theocrats where they don't know what to do, and they, they lose their constituencies as a result. In terms of seeking a solution for how to put an end to this sort of violence, or at least significantly reduce the likelihood that authors are going to be stabbed when they go for a talk in the United States, it's clear that you support more secular governments rather than theocratic Islamist government, uh, you know, run by Sharia law. What else needs to be done when you say there needs to be reform within the Muslim community? What does that look like? What is the next step or steps in getting Islam to a, uh, a better place? We need to get beyond the apologetic. We need to understand that this is not uh, uh, simply a psychiatric issue. Uh, we need to relate it as Americans to our founding fathers, where our founding fathers were fighting against theocracy. And look at how central it is to our culture and understanding and appreciation of, of what our founding fathers brought to the, the fight against theocracy, but the fight for Americanism in a religious country under God, but yet had a separation uh, of an establishment clause that, you know, we still today debate to what is the separation of church and state, but at the end of the day, it had an establishment clause that prevented the establishment of religion. If we're going to have that debate 
if we're going to reform and defeat radical Islam, we need to have that debate. And Americans need to understand that the jihadists are, are taking advantage of our domestic obsessions, of our political partisanship that we are so obsessed with, you know, one election cycle to the next that our our ADD has has caused us to withdraw to places like Afghanistan with a rapidity. I'm not saying we should have stayed there, but the but the debacle that was that withdrawal caused us to give the propagandists and you know weapons that have been now used for a year to 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 strengthen the Taliban. So, long story short, we need to have a strategy where we say, you know what, this battle for for Western freedom and liberty is only going to be won if we begin to strategically talk about what's happening in Iran and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Egypt across one quarter of the world's population. They haven't gone through an enlightenment. They haven't gone through a reformation. And if they're going to go through that, we need to take sides. We need to take sides within the House of Islam, and there needs to be a strategy, both public and private, in that partnership with foundations and others that needs to happen. And we've not had any of that uh, investment domestically done. And I think American Muslims are uniquely positioned. We we grew up in a narrative of religious freedom that empowers us to understand our faith in a way that is the only way we can defeat radical Islam. And, and Europe right now is far ahead of us. Austria understands the diagnosis, but yet their treatment is wrong. They've outlawed political Islam as an ideology. Sebastian Kurtz did that just six months ago. Bad idea, right understanding of the problem. France is beginning to understand it. They've talked about Islamic separatism, and and Macron, as liberal as he is, has talked about fighting against those that live in their country but yet are separatist and have never embraced French nationalism. They're having that conversation. But America, Britain— and so many other countries in the West are not having this conversation. Well, one, one of the issues that, and I'll, I'll end with this because uh, I do have to run, but uh, one of the issues that has repeatedly come up in the West and in Western countries like France and Austria and even the United States that have a Muslim population that is significant is the idea of a burqa ban. Now, a caller brought this up yesterday. Let me ask you, where do you come down on that? A lot of Americans think that folks should be able to wear whatever they want if it means adherence to the religion of their choice. A lot of folks view this uh, a women woman wearing a burqa as a symbol of repression. Do you think countries, including our own, should be exploring the idea of a burqa ban? Well, you know, I was on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom from 2012 to 16. I was appointed by Senator McConnell, and one of the points in which I I had a dissenting opinion from my other commissioners, my fellow commissioners was on this issue where they made a statement condemning France with their burqa ban. And uh, I, I made a, a dissenting opinion that's still in that uh, in our volumes that we wrote up at the time. And my position was, you know, I'm not talking about what a woman would wear from her shoulders down, but if she's going to cover her face, we as a free society have tied public identity of an individual to their individualism, their freedom. Once you cover their face, they, they lose their humanity. And this was one of the problems I had with the mask mandate during COVID was, you know, the Supreme Court actually in New York ruled that you could not have demonstrations. This was 100 years ago. You could not have demonstrations with masks, partly because they couldn't figure out who was causing violence and other things. But secondly, the Supreme Court basically said you have to be able to identify folks when they're in public places 
if they commit crimes or do other other things, it will actually be a way to identify who they are. So if the burqa is the covering of the face, that is not a right. You can stay home if you want, but if you're going to be public, part of being part of the public society is allowing facial identification of who you are. On that note, Zudi Jasser, also the host of the Reform This podcast, if you want to hear more from him. It's always a treat to talk with you, sir. I'll look forward to our next discussion. Anytime. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.